Lori Houston's News for the Heart is dedicated to helping you give a voice to your own soul. Our hearts have the power to free us from pain and the struggles that keep us from awakening to our true essence. Join Lori now as we delve into our heart and soul to find the path that will open us to the possibilities and lead us to the life we love to live. And good afternoon. This is News for the Heart, and today I am here with my amazing co-host, Tom Campbell, and we've been doing shows now for quite a while, but we, uh, we've we been doing videos now on YouTube for, well, a little over a year, and uh, now Tom's actually putting them on his YouTube station, and I still have a few more that people may not have seen, so if you haven't seen them, pop over to mine um, and check them out, uh, because, you know, there's some good stuff there. And uh, so we just finished the holidays. We were just about to go into New Year's Eve. So we thought, because it's always a good time to do it anyways, to talk about New Year's resolutions. Uh, We tend to, well, we tend to make a list. And, uh, well, we're going to talk about that. I mean, the top New Year's resolutions, usually they don't change a whole lot. You know, it usually has to do with staying fit and healthy, maybe losing weight, um, spending less money, getting more organized. Usually has something to do with stop smoking if you're a smoker or so it's always these things that we do. (laughs) And so we're going to talk about, even though we talk about it a lot, we're going to talk about, you know, coming from a space of being instead of doing. So Tom, take it away. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I guess it's a it's a tradition to make up um, things that we'd like to change to kind of do a little uh, self analysis, I guess, self inspection. Uh, you know, look at the past year and saying, "All right, what uh, what could I do better? What was it about last year that I would like to change if I were to change something?" And that's probably a good tradition, but it's one that we should do every every day good point not once a year you know it's one that we should be doing continuously as we go we should always be looking at the data you know which is the past the history uh, you know what we've done uh, you know last last week were you upset about something you know did you have a you know a problem that you were dealing with uh, you know well why did you have that problem where did that come from and what could you do differently that that problem wouldn't have occurred. You see, that kind of analysis ought to be going on day by day, week by week, uh, not just once a year at the end of the year, because it's not really the big things that trip us up. It's usually not the, the real big global things that, that uh, trip us up. We, we have our problems. We express our issues that we really need to change daily, weekly, you know, if we really look at those things, we will find a, a gold mine of places to make to make changes. Um, don't have to go back and look at over a whole year. Just go back and look over a whole week is yes. probably enough to find plenty of things to work on. And yes, you're right. We look at all the things that we have done badly, mm-hmm. and then we want to change how we do things. So we do things differently, and it's all about the doing. And a, a better way to approach it, a more productive way to approach it, is look at the things that we were, you know, how, how were we, not the things we did, 
the things we did are, are an expression of how we are, but the real thing where the rubber really meets the road is how we are, not so much what we did. And then we want to find out, well, that's how we are. How would we like to be? See, that's a little different question than what did we do and what should we do differently? You know, what were we? Who were we? How did we react and interact? How did we feel? And how would we like to be differently? That's and the nice more thing about this time of year, though, sorry, the nice thing about this time of year is that we just got through with, you know, the major holidays. So in the past week, we've probably interacted with a lot of people. <laughs> and it's usually those interactions that help us learn where we want to be differently. <laughs> yes, that's true. And we interact with, with those people who generally are close to us. And, uh, Get that's those again triggers the, in. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, again where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. And we have these, you know, if you look back over even just the last two weeks, probably since Thanksgiving, right? That's when it all starts. So we go back to, uh, you know, the week of Thanksgiving and look at all those times that uh, we were unhappy or upset or annoyed or aggravated. You know, look at all those negative things. And those are the problem things. Not that the things themselves were the problem, but who you are, who you were when, those, when you felt those things. That's really where the problem is. So we look at all those things. Now you can look at the good things, too. Look at the times you were happy and the times that you were really feeling good and that everything was great. And look at who you were then. And you'll see there's a difference. There's a big difference in the way you feel and the, and the attitudes you have and the way that you were interpreting your reality between those times that felt really good and really nice and between those times that felt not so good and not so nice. So there's some there's some lessons just in that comparison. But again, not don't look at the things and certainly don't look at the at the, you know what somebody else made you do because nobody else makes you do anything, you know, it's always your choice. So look at yourself. It's all about you. You can't change anybody else but yourself. So just look at yourself and the good times and the bad times. And what's the difference? And what you'll find is that the difference is going to always be fear, ego, and belief. Those are the differences. Things like expectations. Well, that's just another part of beliefs, what you expect. And then people don't meet your expectations or they don't... Uh, find you to be as uh, deserving and uh, whatever as you as you feel you are, you know, and you're not getting the credit you think that's due or you're not getting the respect that you think that's due, all those sorts of things. It's really all about you. It's not about them. And though that's the kind of, of um, introspection that we really need to be doing all the time. Because when we make this list about all the things that we should do differently – we're really missing the point about, you know, what makes us unhappy and what would make us, you know, uh, happier. That's not really the point so much as in the, in, in the doing. And we don't really need a list. It's pretty obvious, actually, what those things are. It's not like we need a list or we just forget about it. You know, there, 
they're right there, you know, with us <laughs> sitting, you know, on our shoulder, hitting you know, <laughs> us between the eyes. They're right there all the time. So the, the list really isn't too necessary. Just a, an awareness is necessary. An awareness not of necessarily of what you did, but why you did it. Why you reacted the way you did. Why you felt the way you felt. And not at the making an excuse or justification for it, but really why you feel that way. And that will take you then back to the fear, which leads you to the ego, which leads you to the beliefs and expectations and your needs and all that stuff all falls in under the fear. So we need to do that uh, daily as we live, as those things happen. The very moment you feel some negative kind of thing, you ought to immediately think, why do I feel that way? And your first thing will be to justify it. Oh, I felt that way because, and you'll blame somebody else. You know, they made me feel that way. That's, that's the first thing. Your intellect does that for you. It justifies your fear, telling you that you're just fine. It's somebody else's problem. And after you get past that, say, oh, yeah, okay, I know that. Now let's let that go and find out why do I really feel that way? Why, why do I choose to feel like that in this situation? And then you can find the fear and the dysfunction that is causing the problem. And the good news is that once you get past that, defun that dysfunction, then all of the things that that dysfunction would have made you feel bad all go away at the same time. So you, typically you not only solve that problem, but you solve a hundred other problems at the same time that were all coming out of that same dysfunction, out of that same fear. So that's the good news. You really get you know a whole lot more out of of um, conquering a fear than just the one thing that maybe caught your attention about that fear. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, we tend to focus so much on the outside and what we, like you said, what, what we think will make us happy on the outside when really the happiness comes from within. But when we're focused so much on the outside, then we, we tend to, look at what we can do to change it like it's always kind of it's like this outer reflection instead of an inner reflection so but we can use those examples of outer reflection like we can use those um, opportunities to say okay so what is it so if health is one of the things and it's been on my agenda and I think I'm finally getting it all under control but I think when health is one of the things that you want to shift and change, you know, you need to you need to recognize that as something you want to look at, but then find out what the inner things are then that are creating the outer problems because it's as well, most of us believe, especially <laughs> especially with you Tom and and with me on a spiritual on a spiritual level, you know, that illness doesn't happen you know it doesn't just happen it is there's things that will occur within us first that sort of you know give us little signposts and you know little coincidences that you know should trigger us to to think of what it is that you know may be happening and then they'll just keep getting bigger and bigger by our team or whatever to you know, get our attention so that we can say, okay, there's something we're doing wrong or something we're being wrong, but there's something that's happening within us that we need to shift. And that's when, you know, and okay. And then there's many other 
variables there though. Like there are things that we choose when we come, whether they're exit points or whatever. There are times when we may not be able to cure necessarily the disease, but we still can feel happy within. We can still work on the inner aspects of things that are going on so that we can find out, you know, why we may have chose that particular lesson or what it could be for us. So if health is one of the things, which I think a lot of people want to improve their health, especially as the baby boomers get older, you know, we're moving into that area where, you know, things can go wrong. (laughs) And uh, so I think, you know, the more we look inner on the inner levels, the more we look inside ourselves, the more we tackle our fears, the more we understand our fears and our beliefs and all the things that we hold inside, then the outside begins to change. And so the body can begin to heal certain things. But it's more about how we feel inside than it ever is about, you know, what's happening outside. Yes, that's that's true. It's not so, and, and you've, we, I've said this uh, probably enough times that uh, I sound like a broken record, but it's not so much what happens that's important. Right. It's how you deal with what happens that's important, you see. So if you just let whatever happens, happens, and sometimes illness just is a random thing. Sometimes you just, you know, somebody that has a the flu just happens to not know they have it yet because they're still in that contagious but not having symptom stage and you catch that from them and you you know neglect to wash your hands one time when you should have after touching things that other people have touched and anyway things happen and some of it's just random and it happens to you but if you're in a good space if you're generally in a positive good space your immune system is working very well And you can handle most of that. And if you just happen to be tired because you had to work real hard and stay up late at night for three or four days in a row and so on, and your immune system's maybe a little weak and you just get somebody's bug and you get sick, well, you get sick. (laughs) You know, you just accept that and deal with it. And how you deal with it is what's really important, not the fact that you got sick. Mm -hmm. So we we have to look at the, the things that happen to us are not so important as we make them. We make that everything. And like you say, we have this mindset that there's these things that happen to us and we need to change those things that we don't like. This stuff happens to us, so we need to go change something out in that outer world so that doesn't happen to us anymore. We want to fix the outer world. But that is a, that's a, a, a fallacy. That's a kind of a, a problem of seeing it seeing the world from the wrong direction that's trying to you know grab the dog by the tail and wag the dog you know from the tail it's not like that it doesn't it just doesn't get much traction there's not a lot you can do to manipulate that outside world now we think we're all really clever at manipulating the outside world but for the most part we're not nearly as clever as we think we are and that outside world has so many variables in it that it's impossible to manipulate it very well. But we keep trying and trying and trying. But it just doesn't work out very well. And the more we try to manipulate it, the more out of control it gets. You see, it just seems to work that way. The harder you work at making it be the way you want, the less likely it's going to be that way. And that's 
partly because you focus very much on the way it is and changing it. And every little thing that isn't the way you want it, you know, you get more and more needing to make it exactly the way you want. And that is impossible. You can't make it exactly the way you want. The better thing to do is accept it as it is and say, if it's, if it's uh, let's say it's not such a nice thing, then it's, how do I deal with this best? How do I deal with this in a way that is a win-win for everybody? How do I deal this in such a way that it's helpful to other people? How do I deal this in such a way that I don't feel upset or angry or anything negative? I can deal with it in a positive way. How can I do that? And if your answer is, I can't, I can't do this, this is awful, how could I deal with this in a positive way, then you need to go back and say, why is it so awful? What's so awful about it? What's the, you know, the long-term downside here, and why is it so awful? And there's where you'll start to find the fear that things won't be the, you know, the way you want, that you won't be considered, that you'll be left out, that you'll end up with the short end of the stick, that people don't appreciate you, that people are being not nice to you, it's not what you deserve, and you get into this whole bunch of ego and, and fears, and that's really why you're, you know, that you're upset. So yes, look at this stuff that happens to you, including illness, and learn from it. Say, how can I best deal with this? So, okay, let's talk about health. You're, you know, 30 pounds overweight and you have been having more problems now that you're over, you know, 50 or 45 or whatever your age is. As you get older, you know, more, more aches and pains and more things seem to go wrong, more visits to the doctor and so on. So what are you going to do about it? Well, you have to think of, well, what are the, what are the things in my environment that are contributors like not getting enough sleep, like, you know, having Coca-Cola and potato chips for dinner, you know, like, uh, you know, there's lots of things in your environment that uh, may be a, a contributor to that. And then some of those things you'll just have to accept, like, um, you know, the children come home from school carrying a lot of diseases, particularly if your children are young, if they're like in the, you know, daycare to elementary school, they'll come home with a new disease, you know, every other week. And what can you do about that? Well, you could keep them out of school. You could uh, lock them in a, you know, in a, in a room uh, when they come home and not let them out. You know, there's lots of things you could do, but all of those would be much worse doing them than just accepting the problem. Well, if it's a problem you cannot change, accept it and deal with it positively. Because if in your head you're thinking, oh, no, those kids are going to give me another disease, you almost certainly will get sick over and over and over again. But if in your head you're thinking, well, that's the way it is. I'll just deal with it. It's fine. I accept it. If I get ill, I'll just deal with that too. It's just part of the life I am right now. You'll probably not get sick. You'll probably go for a year and never have a cold or never get sick from it. Other people may get it, but you won't because you have a positive attitude. See, it makes all the difference. Just that attitude toward it will make a difference. That's the placebo effect, if you will, working without the sugar pill. That's your intent, your positive intent towards your health manifesting just because you have a positive attitude. So, yes, that's a big part of it is how we think about it. 
And the more we try to control it, you see, the more energy we put into the problem. So if it's, oh, I have to control this, we need to have a way. Whenever the kids come home, they all have to wash their hands and, you know, we'll rub them down in Lysol or something, you know, (laughs) before we let them in the house, whatever. And you get all these things where you try to control it and try to control it. And you find out it just gets worse. Not only did you get sick, but, you know, the kids are really unhappy now, too. So the, the situation will just get worse. And I think that's because you're focusing on the problem. Exactly. You're focusing all that negative energy. Yeah. And then as soon as you shift it to, you know, acceptance and, you know, not trying to control and manipulate, because that's really what you're trying to do. The more, the more you focus on, well, what can I do? You're, you're just trying to control and manipulate the situation. You can't, well, you can't control kids for one. (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) No, but, and you don't want to. No, exactly. You want them yeah. to have fun and play. You can't, I mean, you can't restrict if you, we know of those types of parents where they try to restrict everything and the poor child ends up a little neurotic. <laughs> you know, like, like it's, I know that things have changed, but wow, things have changed since, you know, I was a child. You know, we didn't worry about going outside and playing in the neighborhood. And, you know, there were so many other there were so many other things that we just, I mean, sure, I think kids still got kidnapped, but it just wasn't part of our focus. But now that it's part of our focus, I mean, there's so much paranoia, there's so much fear. There's, it's just, yeah. we feed on that fear and it's, it, it's so debilitating to us. Like it's all those fears and those worries and that, that we hold on to. Those are the things that make us sick. Like those are the things that are killing us by holding on to all of that anxiety. I mean, I know that people think I'm crazy because I still don't lock my, my door. I never do it. I know that, you know, I live in a big city, but I'm kind of, I don't know. I just, it's never been a concern of mine and and I'm kind of at the back and up, you know, a a staircase that, you know, most people wouldn't go up because they would wonder, you know, what's up there. They wouldn't think that it would be, you know, so I don't really worry about it. <laughs> and I know people, other people that live in different areas because they have different fears, they think I'm crazy. But I, it's all a mindset. Like, I'm not trying to be open to somebody coming in and robbing me. It's just, I just don't fear it. Like, I don't think it's, a, you know, I think it would be rather silly that anybody would make the effort to do that because they have no idea what would be up that staircase. Um, so to me, it's just... And there's been many places that I've never, never locked just because, I don't know, it just felt safe. I never felt not safe in that way. So it's just, it's fears that we hold on to that are the thing that really contribute to how we, how we are in the world. Like it, it is how we are in the world by all those fears that dictate to us, you know, what, what face we show, what part of us that we reveal to the world okay so yes uh, that uh, you know the same sort of thing goes with health right uh and that is that if you have this feeling that you're likely to get sick that these people have germs or look that person's over sneezing i'm going to get sick from that if i'm not careful or if i get on an airplane i'll surely you know get sick of some sort if you have all of these kinds of fears about getting sick you probably will get sick You will draw that situation. You will create that situation. You're putting energy into that probability being manifested. 
if you have the opposite, if you just think that nobody's going to walk up your staircase and into your home, if you just think that you're not going to get sick, okay, those people are sick, but not me. I'm not going to catch that cold. You probably won't. And you will be that, you know, out of all the people in the room, you know, half of them will catch that cold and some won't. And you'll be of the some that won't. And it's just that positive attitude that protects you. And you can say, if you want to make it a causal thing, you can say that positive attitude improves your immune system. Well, you can say that, but that's just part of it. That positive attitude is just lowering future probability of you getting ill. Doesn't mean you won't get ill, and if you do, then it's a thing to deal with. But if you uh, have a good positive attitude about things, if you're not fearful about things, then those bad things tend to not happen. So you see, what it ends up leading to is that when you give up control, you don't need control. You see, you don't have to control all these people with germs and keep them away from you and make them wash their hands and, and uh, you know... Uh, Get your little uh, alcohol wipey and wipe off the handle of your grocery cart before you touch it. You know, you don't have to do all those things. Those things tend to bring you illness, not keep you from illness, because you're focused on the illness. You're focused on the fear of getting the illness, and you think that the things you do are going to prevent it. Some, you know, in some way they might, but in a bigger picture, they don't. Because you are increasing the probability of getting ill. So if you don't get it from that grocery store basket cart, you'll pick it up someplace else. Mm -hmm. Because you're putting energy into this from the fear of being sick or the fear of getting ill. So just have a good attitude. Have a strong attitude of you're not going to get sick. It's not going to affect you. And that can't be an intellectual thing, though. Mm -hmm. If inside you're saying... Oh, I really don't want to get sick, and I'm afraid I will because over there are sick people, and you know I'm in this group and I can't leave. And outside, in your intellect, you're saying, "Oh, I'm not going to get sick. I'm not really going to get sick." You know, it's sort of like uh, you know saying something and crossing your fingers. You know, <laughs> you're you're of two minds there. You are uh, intellectually trying to convince yourself you're not going to get sick, whereas at the being level, you're still fearful. That's not going to help. We're not talking about an intellectual solution here we're talking about at the being level you have to feel from the core of you that you're not going to participate in that illness and if you feel that way there's a much higher probability that you won't participate in that illness no matter what happens even if somebody sneezes right in your face you know there's a good chance you're not going to get sick if you've got a good attitude but if that sneeze then causes you to get fearful oh no now surely i will get sick then you probably will so it has, you know, like I say, that's the placebo effect in a different form. Right. You can modify your health just by your attitude and the way you think about it. That's a powerful thing. But what we're actually getting to is this idea that when you are fearless, when you don't have all of these concerns about all the terrible things that might happen to you, whether it's illness or whether it's, you know, whether you get the promotion or somebody else does or whether it's the way your children are acting or your spouse. or I mean, it's your whole life like this. When you are positive about things, when you're not trying to control, when you're accepting, when you're just focused on how can I be the best I can be in this situation? How can I be such that, you know, it's a, it's a win for everyone? 
what can I do that is, you know, the best choices that I have? When that's your focus, you don't need control because all the things that you otherwise would like to have control, they're not a problem anymore. You don't need to control them. All those problem issues went away. They don't happen. You see, so that's the thing. When you when you get to the point that you realize I have no control, I need no control. I really don't want any control. I'm just going to live and deal the best I can with what happens. You find out you don't you can't use any control. That actually things work out better for you when you don't try to control them than they do when you do try to control them. When you do try to control them, your your fear is feeding the opposite result than what you want. So that's why when you give up the idea of control, the only person you control is yourself. Control yourself, you know, control the way you make choices. And eventually you don't even have to control that because you'll just be changed at the being level. And now all you do is just be authentic, who you are, and life is good. That's the place we want to get to because that's easy. That's the easy way to live, you see. There's no stress in that. There's, there's no uh, worry in any of that. There's no fear in any of that. You just be authentic and deal with whatever happens. So now you're in a very good place. And life generally tends to be happy and satisfying. And, uh, you know, you feel, you feel good. Life is good. And that's really where we're trying to get to. So it's all of that need to control, which is partly what we're doing when we make that list on, you know, to New Year's Day. We're saying, here are the things I'd like to control better. Okay? And it's good to have that analysis and say about change, but not in the sense of here's what I need to control better. Here's how I need to change me. Here's how I need to control myself better. And control myself doesn't mean using your intellect to make you act in certain ways. We're not talking about acting. We're talking about being. You can use that intellect to help you be better, and then eventually you, the intellect's not needed. You let that go, and you just be that way. But in the beginning, you have to try to be that way, and the intellect is involved in that. So the intellect is a partner that helps direct, but it can't make it happen. You have to do it. Just acting it isn't useful. Yeah. And ultimately, of course, the ultimate goal will be that we no longer focus at all on ourselves, <laughs> but that we focus on others. Yes. By the time you get to the point where you're no longer fearful and trying to manipulate your world, you see, that gives you the freedom now to care about others. Mm. Whereas if you're, to if you're all the time, it's all about you. Oh, what about this? And what about that? And my kids and my family, my wife, my husband, my boss, and all this stuff is going on, you see, and it's constantly about you and and you manipulating the outside world to be the way you want it, then there's not much room there to be about others. That's called self-centered. That's a high entropy way of being, and that creates a lot of dysfunction for you. Because you have all these problems is why you have all these problems. You know, it's one of those things. It, it's it's self-fulfilling prophecy. And that then is you know, where we don't want to go. Okay, so going on, health obviously is a big one for a lot of people, but I wanted to touch on addictions. Now, we did a show on addictions, and it's a great show, and so if you haven't watched it, please look for it. Um, but 
the 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 addictions that people want to give up on New Year's Eve would be smoking, drinking, maybe drugs, kind of the bigger ones that people think of when they think of addictions, which of course when we talk about addictions, addictions is a lot more. <laughs> but uh yeah, cuz usually on someone's top list, top 10 list would probably not be my addiction to sex unless, you know, you are but that's not usually. But I mean, addictions, when we talk about addictions, Tom and I, we're talking about a much bigger perspective of what addictions are. But if we're talking about the outer ones <laughs> instead of the inner ones, because we've got a lot of addictions, um, when we're looking at things like smoking and drinking and those things that kind of, I don't know, distract us from living. <laughs> so we, you know, that's where the addictions come from. And some of them are really hard to let go of. I mean, sugar is, sugar is one I have let go of since August. And whenever it sort of enters into my bloodstream, there's some sort of reaction now. Um, so I've only had it maybe a couple times since then. But you know, these, these addictions, they, they can't, some of them are really hard on us. And so some of the times, I don't know, I guess you do have to start at a mental level to, to sort of stop it. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, Tom, what's, what's your feelings on those type of addictions that, you know, have a body reaction when you stop them? Well, you do start with an intellect that one recognizes that you have this addiction. Mm. You know, that's that's the first big step, right? That's the major step because all the rest of the steps you might take afterwards won't go anywhere if you don't take that step first, that this is a problem. And then you can try to, again, look at why is it a problem? Right. You know, what's the reason? Why do I do this? And sometimes you'll find that there's a lot of reasons why you do it. <laughs> it's not just one thing, right. okay? And the reasons that you do it might be one of them might be physical, Oh, because I've done this a lot, and now my body is accustomed to it, or even it's a habit of mine. It's just the way I, you know, it's part of my uh, structure of my life now. And you have that component that's more physical. Like the withdrawal more, more aspects, right? The, yeah, the things right. where that, you know, people get stuck on those right. because it's so painful to stop. Right. But there's but pain it's, it's, underneath that that's even more painful that they're not looking yeah. at. <laughs> right. So you have that, and we'll talk about that. That's like the physical addiction yeah. or even the habitual addiction. Right. We, can, we can go there too. Uh, but there's also the reasons why you started that in the first place. You see, why it is you did that. Now, it might just be, well, you were in a crowd where, you know, everybody ate donuts every morning and drank coffee. So you just started eating donuts and drinking coffee like they did, and pretty soon you're addicted to sugar and caffeine where you weren't before. Well, so it's not any big uh, you know, failures of, of spirit or anything that put you there. It was just, you know, you just went along and, and now you have these problems. Or there may be other issues. You know, it may be that, uh, you know, you watch the uh, Marlboro Cowboy and when you were, you know, eight years old, you really impressed <laughs> You know, he was just the coolest dude ever, and you wanted to be cool, too. And all the really big people that you knew all smoked, you see. And you kind of, in your mind, got the idea that if you're going to be big and mature and important, then you need to smoke because that's what important big people do. And you see that when you're 10, 11, and 12, and, 
you would identify the smoking with being an adult. Okay. So if you have insecurities and you feel somewhat inadequate, well, then you're going to start smoking because that's going to help with those insecurities and inadequacies because that's going to show everybody that you're an adult, even if you're not quite sure that yourself inside, even if you don't feel, you know, as great as you think you'd, you'd like to be that smoking or that swagger or, you know, whatever it else it is, behavior that you're, that you're doing is a, is part of your uh, cover story. You know, it's part of your, your story of I'm okay. See here, I'm an adult, you know, I'm grown up, I can smoke because you can't legally smoke until you're, you know, 19 or something. So this is just a, a way of strutting your, your, um, your maturity, you see. So we start those things because of things like inadequacy and insecurity and so on. And then, of course, we end up with habits. And now we're smoking because our body is addicted to the, to the nicotine, right. you see. So we, we often have multiple problems. It's seldom just a simple problem because if you still need that cigarette in order to feel adultish, in order to feel like you're one of the big kids, because when you were eight, you felt real weeny <laughs> and one of the little kids and you know nobody would ever take you seriously. If you still have that need, right. then trying to get over the physical addiction probably isn't going to work for you because you still have a need to have that image of yourself. You still want to be up on that horse, you know, like the Marlboro man. You still want to be, you know, for all these commercials that tried to, you know, trick us into thinking that, you know, if you smoked, you were cooler, better, sexier, niftier, more powerful, more manly, more feminine, whatever, you know, they tried to convince us of these things. Well, it, that kind of thing works. That's why they use those ads, because they work. And they work mostly on children. And they give children a, a sense of that's the way reality is, which is irrational, but quite credible to a child. And then once you get older, you don't think of it as being irrational. It's just a part of you. It's inside of you, and you never inspect it for its rationality. It's just the way you are. And you don't know it, but that cigarette that's in your mouth makes you feel more important and more significant, you see. And even if you beat the physical addiction, if you haven't beaten the thing that got you started on that physical addiction, chances are you'll go right back to it because you still have that sense of feeling more in control, more presence, taken more seriously, you know, if you're a smoker. As opposed to if you don't, you don't have that prop anymore. So there's lots of reasons why people do these things. There's lots of reasons why people overeat. It's not just because they're gluttonous or they're very hungry or, you know, they have physiological problems with their thyroid. You know, we have lots of those things. Yeah, those maybe (laughs) might be even part of a problem, but they're usually just part of a problem. Right. Often that body image problem goes a lot deeper. You see, and it has a lot more tentacles into your psyche and into your subconscious than you think it has. So when you work on an addiction, you have to work at it holistically on the whole thing. So you work on the behavior, yes, but you also have to work on the why 
do you have that behavior? And for some people, there'll be a lot of those whys. And for others, there'll be very few, like the person that just started drinking coffee and eating donuts because everybody else did. You see, now he doesn't have a big why other than that. So he gets rid of the physical addiction. Then he only has to deal with a one why, which is trying to be like everybody else, trying to fit in. See, that was his why. Instead of saying, well, no, thanks. You know, I don't really do coffee and donuts in the morning. Uh, he wanted to fit in and be like everybody else, be accepted. So that was his why. And maybe that's not as big a why as what other people have. But most of us still have whys to deal with besides the physical addiction. Now, the physical addiction is generally, you know, in the media, you know, we see the guy who's the heroin addict, you know, and he has to lock himself in a cage for, you know, for a month and he drools and he goes crazy and he does all this stuff before he comes out of it, you know, over his addiction. And we have this, this idea about how the physical addiction is such a difficult, awful thing. Mostly it's difficult and awful because of all those whys that are attached to that addiction. That's why it's so awful. It also is awful because we don't really commit to getting rid of the addiction. What we do is we intellectually convince ourselves that we should change our behavior. So then we try to change our behavior. But at the being level, we haven't convinced ourselves at all that we, we want to change our behavior. At the being level, there's still all those whys there that we started in the first place, plus there's you know, other kinds of insecurities and, you know, well, if I'm no longer a dope addict, then I'd have to get a job. I'd have to work all day. I'd have to, you know, put up with a, you know, with a nuisance boss. I'd have to do all this stuff. I'd get up every morning at six o'clock. Do I want that life? You see? So there's other things that come into it. And if we're not committed at the being level, then usually we fail to beat the physical addiction because, oh, the symptoms are just too much, just overwhelming. Well, I tried to quit smoking, but, oh, I gained 50 pounds. I had headaches all the time. I couldn't sleep, you know, and da-da-da-da-da. So, you know, I had to start again. We, we will create a situation that, that lets us then start again and justify it. Yeah. So I have found for those people who get committed at a being level, I don't want to be, you know, a nicotine addict anymore. And they really mean that at the being level. It's not an intellectual thing of, I think I should quit because everybody tells me I should and because I know it is an intelligent, rational thing to do. See, that's all intellectual. But at the being level, they really want to quit. Those people have very few withdrawal symptoms. They walk away from it and they're done with it. They don't want it. They don't needed. It's not an urge. It's not like, well, every evening, you know, or every morning when everybody's drinking coffee, I just really have this need for a cigarette. They don't have any of that withdrawal. They walk away from it and they're done with it. The people who have the long, drawn-out withdrawals are the people who are trying to quit from an intellectual viewpoint, but at the being level, they haven't bought that story yet. They still have the need for it, and then they go through withdrawals. You see, because though the intellect is saying, no, I don't want to do that, the, at the being level, it's saying, yeah, just have a cigarette. Oh, just one. Just one won't matter. You know, you don't have to do any more after this one, but we just do this one, okay? That won't hurt anything. You can still say you quit. And then there's just two, and, you know, just, well, just one a day, and just two a day, and, find, and eventually it all comes back again. 
So the biggest difference in getting rid of this physical addiction is having a having the desire to get rid of that physical addiction at the being level, not just at the intellectual level. Makes all the difference in the world between those two. Now there may be some physical withdrawal symptoms, but in general, they're much less trouble and more minor than Hollywood would lead us to believe. Mm. Those big drawn out symptoms are, well, you know, it tells a better story, right? And Hollywood's into stories mm -hmm. and it makes it more dramatic. But for the most part, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be as hard as it seems. You just have to have true commitment that you want to get over it. And your intellect can be a part of that. Your intellect can say, I don't want to be a drug addict. You know, I just don't want to be pushed around by this drug where it now affects my behavior. I have behave in certain ways, not because these are my choices, but because I'm an addict and I don't want to do that. I want to be in control of all my choices. I really want to have more free will, a bigger decision space. Right now, this drug has taken over some of my decision space and I want that all back, you see. And if you feel that way, then you'll find that the withdrawals are trivial. They're not there. They're not, I shouldn't say they're not there. You still have some physical withdrawals, but they're not nearly as serious. But if you're really committed, then you can do it. But now we're addicted to things other than the typical alcohol, nicotine sort of thing. You know, we're addicted to foods. Carbohydrates can be addictive. If you just uh, lower your carbohydrates, you'll find yourself just needing a corn chip or something, you know, it's just like you'll, you'll start to, uh, you know, desire those things and you just tell yourself no. And in a few weeks it goes away. You see, it's just, it's a matter of the commitment. It's easy to say no, but if you're not really committed at the being level, just the intellectual level, then it's hard to say no. And then you end up cheating yeah. and cheating just a little and then just a little more. And then pretty soon the whole thing's gone away. So really, it's, it, the change has to first happen at a deeper level if you're going to get over any of these addictions. If you're really going to lose weight, you have to be committed at the being level to doing that. And for all those reasons that you gained the weight, yeah. well, maybe it was, uh, you know, to, uh, I don't know, why do people gain weight? You know, well, some guys gain weight because they feel bigger, makes them big, you know, and they feel more imposing as a, as a guy if they're bigger. And uh, they got pushed around when they were little, and this bigness makes them feel better. So that would be a reason. If you're a female, you may gain weight because you get too much attention, and you don't know how to deal with that attention. That, that makes you uncomfortable. You get too much sexual attention, and the way that you can cut that down because you, it distresses you to have to deal with that constantly, then you can make yourself less attractive by putting on weight. And maybe doing other things. And there's a part of you, though, that wants to be attractive. So you put on a weight, but then on the other hand, you, you know, do other things to make you more attractive someplace else. And you do this. So people are all conflicted about really what they want and why they want it. And if you really want to lose weight, first find out why you gained the weight in the first place. Why that weight is valuable to you. What does it do for you? Because if it didn't do anything for you you probably wouldn't have it. It probably wouldn't be there. And if it's just because you have poor habits, well, that's not hard to, 
to you know to change. You just have poor habits, and when somebody hands you the second dessert, you just say no. I don't need that. I'm going to feel better, feel lighter, feel more energetic. You know, when everybody decides to go out and you know do some touring or walking around, I won't have to say no. I'll sit here on the bench and wait till you get back because you know you weigh too much and you just can't go up that many stairs or something. You can join in with everybody else. If you really want to do that, you can. It just is, what do we call it? You know, the willpower is easy when the will is strong. <laughs> you see, when the will is weak, that's this you at the bean level. That's the will. It's you at the bean level. When the will is weak, then you don't have much willpower. I think the last one, it, it's, they all are very related, but fitness is always something that's sort of thrown us at us, especially at the beginning of the... Well, especially around now. I mean, all the diet programs come out around now. It's ironic, mm -hmm. obviously, that, you know, we get through Christmas, which is probably Christmas and uh, Thanksgiving, which is probably the time we put on the most weight in a lot mm -hmm. of situations. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. um, you know, fitness, I, you know, I don't know why it gets thrown at us so much for the new year. Like, and then everybody buys a gym membership and nobody goes. I, they, there's a statistic on New Year's resolutions that I wrote in my blog that should be coming out today um, that, you know, we're about 8% <laughs> that we hold through on our on our New Year's resolutions. 8%, that's, that's not so good. <laughs> but, uh. I mean, it's like everything's thrown at us and we think, I guess we think it's the right thing to do. That, sure. You know, I, Those I, marketers, you know, they're not... They know what they're doing. Yeah. They study, they study, you know, the psychology of the consumer, yeah. what that consumer's thinking and feeling. And they know after Thanksgiving and and uh, Christmas, we've been more indulgent because of the situation. We've everybody's gained, you know, at least five pounds, you know, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's the perfect time to start telling people what they need is a membership in the gym, you know, because they'll say, oh yeah, that's right, I gotta, I have to work this off. Well. You know, that's just clever marketing. That's why it happens. You know, that's why you get all the fitness stuff thrown at you, uh, you know, at the beginning of the year, because that's when people are most likely to swallow that pill and, you know, get out their checkbook and write a check to someone. And the marketers know that very well. They they play on our fears and on our, you know, the dissatisfactions that we have with ourselves. That's how they get us to transfer our money, you know, into their money. Right. They use that all the time. Fear is a is a right. thing by which you can manipulate people. They know our fears. They <laughs> study our fears. They do research on our fears, and they <laughs> use them to manipulate us. That's the way business works. Yeah. So the the thing about fitness, of course, has a you know has another issue to it. It's a difficult thing for many people to get serious about fitness and still work a you know an eight to five job mm. because they're up at six o'clock. You know, got to get the kids off to school and this and this and that. And then they have to drive to work. And like most people, the drive may take them a half an hour, even if they're only going three or four miles because of traffic and other things. So by the time their day's done and they've gotten back through the rush hour traffic, they've put in, you know, um, what, 9, 10, 12 hours of their day is gone. And they're home, and now it's dinner time, and the kids are hungry, and everybody needs to eat. Then there's the cleanup, you see. And by that time, you don't feel like working out, you see. At that time, you're tired. You're done. 
it's been a long day in the night. Oh, let's get up there and run on that track. You know, <laughs> well, no, it's just like, yeah, not today. You know, I'm not going to do it. I don't feel like it anymore. You want to sit down and, and vegetate a little while just to unwind and, and relax. So our lives are so consumed by our things we have to do, by our necessities of life, you know, by our jobs and our kids and our just our daily chores of keeping up with things, you know, feeding, cleaning, socializing, things that you do need to do every day, you know, and going to work, that fitness kind of falls off the edge because there's just not a block of time for it. Because if you're really going to get serious about fitness, you're talking about an hour or more probably daily yeah. or an hour and a half. You know, you have to get to the gym, get back from the gym. You have to take a shower afterwards because mm -hmm. you sweat. You know, it takes time. You can't just do that like in five minutes. Now, you could do little things, but you can't really get serious about fitness in a, in a way that's really going to change your, you know, your, your body uh, unless you're in an hour and a half, two hours a day or at least every other day. Or, you know, you're just dabbling at it. You're not too serious about it. And most people don't have an extra hour or two hours to cram into their day. And when they do, which is at, you know, 8, you know, from, from 7.30 to, you know, to 9.30 in the evening, they don't feel like fitness. You know, that's just, it's just kind of out of the question. It's uh, not something they can make themselves do at that point because they're done in. They're tired. It's not a time to go exercise. It's a time to go relax. So there is a problem there. Our society, again, these very same people who are clever marketers to get the transfer of money from our wallet to theirs, they also have figured out how much work can somebody stand to do in a day. You know, how much blood can you get out of that turnip? <laughs> and they've just about got us pegged at about everything we've got to give. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of our life takes up the rest of it. And exercise, eh, not no, nobody's planned for that. Nobody makes time for that. And very few people at work will set up a gym and say, all right, everybody that works here in my factory needs to go spend, you know, an hour and a half in the gym today. And uh, that hardly ever happens. That's a very rare company that does that sort of thing. Mostly the company, that's your problem, not their problem, you see. Actually, it is their problem. They have more sick leave. They have more people, you know, with illnesses. They have more out time because people aren't healthy, because people don't have a lot of time to get fit. Well, you could get fit on the weekend, but then all the things you couldn't do all week long have to get done on the weekend. You see, lots of things have to get done on the weekend. And once a week to do your exercise, not enough. It's not enough. That's not really going to change your fitness level a whole lot. Because you have, you know, you have other things to do. It's not like you're going to run on your treadmill for, you know, 10 hours on the weekend. You know, the exercise doesn't work like that. It has to be smaller things more regularly. It has to be a regular kind of thing. A daily thing is, is best. So our whole lifestyle, our employers, you know, um, we are taken advantage of as much as we can be taken advantage of because that's what, you know, that's what business does, right? That's the way our culture works. Mm -hmm. They're going to use people to as much as you can get out of them before they pop, and you'll back up just a little from that pop place, mm -hmm. and that's how much you want to use them. So if you're going to 
work out regularly, you're going to have to fit it into this very, very tight schedule. You're going to have to get up an hour earlier. You're going to have to do it as soon as you come home from work and eat dinner an hour later. You're going to have to watch an hour less of TV, you know, and, and try to get your exercise in before you collapse entirely. Um, or you're going to have to work it into your day. You're going to have to maybe not do something that gets you so sweaty, but take a, you know, a 25 or 30 minute walk, you know, at lunchtime, you know, do what you can do to, to do it. But yeah, that's a problem with us. We need to, uh, we need to have a little more free space Mm -hmm. so that we can, we can order our life a little bit, but you can do small things. You can do little things. You can do your Kegels sitting in your car at red lights. <laughs> you know, you can you can uh, take the you know when you're at work, you can go up and down the steps instead of using the elevator. You can uh, walk between buildings if you're in that kind of a of a, of a mm-hmm. context at work. You can go out at your lunchtime, take 15 or 20 minutes of your lunch hour to go take a a brisk walk. Not enough that you have to go take a shower afterwards, but Almost, you know, almost that much, but stay on the side that you don't have to take that shower. So there are little things you can do, and all that will help a lot. And you also just have to have the the willpower, the will, again, coming from the being level, just to say no. So when you go into that meeting and there's a bunch of donuts and coffee, just say no. You know, isn't that what they used to teach the little children in school, right, about drugs? Just say no. (laughs) And we need to apply that to our life all over. We don't need to be, you know, let's go get that candy bar, you know, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon to help get us through the afternoon. You know, just say no. And uh, if you're committed, that won't be that hard to do. If you're not, it'll be very hard to do. So... Coming back full circle, um, look at, I guess, what you want on a daily basis. But if you want to set intentions, because I think that's where we have to set most of our Mm -hmm. resolutions or what we decide that we would like to change or shift within us, um, to set intentions, but do it from a place of, I don't know, from the inside. Like, for me, it's, it's about choosing happiness or joy or gratitude you know looking at how i share my life instead of you know necessarily what i want um but yeah looking at looking at life just slightly different so that you can see this new year and for those that don't know 2017 is starting a new cycle numerologically numerologically (laughs) not sure if that's a word or not um And, uh, you know, for those who believe in numerology, it's a one year. So it's like a new beginning. And we ended the, you know, this 2016 was a nine year and we had a 999 in September. So we kind of been ending that whole cycle since then. And I don't know if you believe in that, you know, this is a new opportunity to create new things. I mean, certainly if you look back on the last nine years like I did, I learned a lot. And I think we grow you know, all the time. And so it's, it's an opportunity, maybe if we don't do it, you know, on our birthdays or whatever, and somehow we've got it in our head that it has to be on New Year's Eve, 
you know, just look at the things that you would like to shift, but look at them from an inner perspective instead of all the things that you want to control outside of you. Because right. as we've discussed this past hour, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Try to, try to stay on the positive side of things. Yeah. Like you say, look for the joy. Look yeah. for the happiness. Look for what's good about things. Look for the silver lining in the dark cloud. You know, if you, uh, you know, you're going to be, you know, to work late. So that's a problem. Okay. But then look at the good side. You're going to miss the rush. You know, okay. You're half hour late, but you know, the drive in will be nice. You'll make up 10 of those minutes just, you know, in a drive in and you got a little extra sleep. Okay. The alarm failed to go off, but, uh, you know, so you got a little extra sleep and everything will work out. You know, if there's something you had to do at work, somebody will cover for you or it just won't get done and you have to do it some other time or the meeting will have to be rearranged. It's not the end of the world. Don't get so much tension and frustration and upset and anger and, and all of that. Just look at the good side. Mm-hmm. Say, well, hey, I get, you know, I get a nice drive in this morning and uh, it's a little different and I can always, you know, everything will work out. Everything can always work out. Right. Just, you know, kind of know that, that it can always work out. You just have to give it that positive attitude that will help it work out, that will feed that working out rather than feed that oh no yeah you know so yeah always look at the positive things instead of we tend to dwell on what's negative the negative things catch our attention and we think about those all the time which of course feeds that negativity and uh, if you think about the positive things that uh, that any event may hold for you what good could come out of this well you know something awful happens and you can say well you know Sometimes you have to really hit bottom before you turn around and go up. Well, maybe this will be the bottom, you know, or maybe the bottom's further down there yet, but uh, maybe we'll start going up from here, you know. So it's that thing rather than just saying, oh, no, here I am on the bottom, you know, woe is me. That's dysfunctional. Find some way to be positive about everything, and then things will start happening around you that are better. More positive things will happen. All right. Well, you've been listening to the use of the heart. You have Tom Campbell and Lori Houston. Please check out Tom's um, website, mybigtoe.com, and his YouTube station. He's got hours and hours and hours of interviews and um, workshops and all sorts of amazing information. He has a forum on his website. I mean, you can ask anything. We we every once in a while we'll go on to our. Uh, or to the YouTube and answer some of the questions that are there. Um, so post them and uh, we will also ask more questions. Um, and we'll be back next month. Thank you, Tom. You're welcome. Thank you, Laurie. Have a question for Lori and want to be on the next News from the Heart show? Drop us a line via instant feedback at bmajor.org. News from the Heart is brought to you by Intuitive Soul and is produced by Major Radio for Clear Channel's iHeartRadio and bmajor.org.